to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of March 4, 2018. This article is hot off the press, just posted this afternoon on ACB Leadership, entitled Introducing Uber Health, Removing Transportation as a Barrier to Care, posted on uberhealth.com and uber.com. Whether it's helping seniors regain their independence, providing newfound mobility to those living in underserved areas, or providing a safe alternative to drinking and driving, Uber has changed the way people live their lives in ways that were never expected. Yet, still, there's so much more that can be done. We're unveiling a new service focused on an issue vital to all of us, health. Every year, 3.6 million Americans miss doctor appointments due to a lack of reliable transportation. No-show rates are as high as 30% nationwide. And while transportation barriers are common across the general population, these barriers are greatest for vulnerable populations, including patients with the highest burden of chronic disease. Today, we're introducing Uber Health as a way to partner with healthcare organizations to provide reliable, comfortable transportation for patients. The dashboard allows healthcare professionals to order rides for patients going to and from the care they need. We are also launching an Uber Health API to enable easy integration into existing healthcare products. Developed with healthcare in mind, new features include flexible ride scheduling for patients, caregivers, and staff. Coordinators can schedule rides on behalf of patients, caregivers, and staff to take place immediately within a few hours or up to 30 days in advance. This allows for transportation to be scheduled for follow-up appointments while still at the healthcare facility. Multiple rides can be scheduled and managed at the same time, all from a single dashboard. Access for patients without a smartphone. Riders don't need the Uber app or even a smartphone to get a ride with Uber Health because it's all done through text message. We're even going to be introducing the option for riders to receive a call with trip details to their mobile phone or landline instead. For many, their first ever Uber ride will be through Uber Health. So we're committed to providing the necessary education tools that ensure every patient feels comfortable and at ease during their journey. Simple billing, reporting, and management. Organizations can easily keep track of what they're spending on rides. Reporting on requested rides and viewing monthly billing, appointments, and scheduling reports is simple. HIPAA compliance. To ensure Uber Health meets HIPAA standards, we've even been working hard to develop, implement, and customize numerous safeguards. We also work with Clearwater Compliance, a leading HIPAA compliance company, to conduct comprehensive risk and compliance assessments. We are thus pleased to sign business associate agreements, BAAs, with our healthcare partners. There's much more to this article. If you're interested, check out the ACB leadership list or check the KCB News email list. It's posted in both places. On page two is a presentation by Michael Harding, a personal trainer who spoke to the GLCB Roundabout this past Friday. 
There are four articles on page three. The first is from Tony Stevens and concerns flying with a guide dog on Delta Airlines. He tells you what you should do if you have a problem. Next, hear about a new multi-line, low-cost braille display being developed in Great Britain. Then, Microsoft explains a new app that will help us find buildings and other landmarks in our environment. And finally, hear views on blindness from a veteran who lost his sight in Afghanistan. And on page four is the Sound Prince calendar. Page two. Glad you're all here this afternoon. My next door neighbor, Michael Harding, is here, and he will tell us this afternoon about personal training and the things that he does and ways he can help people with physical activity, and he'll talk to us about the importance of that. And... Um, Michael has about nine years experience behind him, so that's, he's not just starting out. He's done, he's done training in the Army as well as had his own business in uh, New Mexico. So I will welcome Michael. Well, thank you guys. Um, so just a little bit about me, as she said, I had nine years in the military and then add three years onto that doing personal training. So a little bit, approximately 12 total, um, although I wasn't always training, I was the one being trained in the military, but as a team leader, you spend a lot of time making sure that your soldiers are squared away and ready to pass the PT test and all that fun stuff. So I think something, it that is important for anybody who's looking at personal training or looking at any kind of fitness, what they would call modality or fitness plan, is to understand if that person is certified and if they're certified by a nationally accredited body. And so for me, I'm certified by National Academy of Sports Medicine and Action Certified Personal Training. And so those two organizations are both nationally accredited. And so if you get a trainer and they tell you that they're not certified by anybody, you should probably just just leave. Even if they say they have a four-year degree, they could have gotten their degree in like the 90s and so much has changed since then. And, and there's been um, ideas within fitness that have actually injured people that we've been able to overcome over the years, whether it was certain ideas of like, hey, you should stretch this way or that, and they realized, oh, we're actually doing more damage than good by stretching a certain way or things of, of that nature. So you want to make sure that somebody's up to date, almost like you would with the doctor. You wouldn't want a doctor with not the latest information on what he can do. Um, you want the most trained person for whatever you're paying for, for that person. So if, if I'm to give any kind of advice in that regard, I would say definitely find somebody who has a recognized certification. It's good to take fitness information and view it in, in a sense, uh, like a grain of salt. And what I mean by that is, is everybody's got their opinion on how you should get in shape, um, which I'll talk about in a, why I don't like that word, because I think, what are you getting in shape for? That's a better question. Um, because if you think in general that you're gonna get in shape, and getting in shape means you're picturing that you're supposed to be some pro athlete, you're gonna be sorely mistaken, right? If you think that, and you're just starting off working out, it's gonna be not that you couldn't ever get to that point, but 
just starting off, you're gonna you're gonna end up crushing yourself because you're gonna try to live up to expectations that aren't realistic right away. Um, with fitness, it's all about consistency. That's how you get better. There's no fast, regardless of what TV, radio says, there's no fast, get it right. You may drop pounds if you get on a, a fat burner or something like that, but you, you won't maintain that and it'll come back. So first I would like to have, if you're able to and if you'd like to, um, you don't have to, but if I could have everybody kind of stand up and make sure that you have a arm's length away from somebody. What I'm going to have you do is you'll have your arms straight out to the side and you're going to make small circles to the front. So arms straight out to the side, small circles to the front. A little bit smaller, some of you guys are going a little bit bigger. Now think like if you're thinking of a small circle, think tennis ball, small circle. So that's what I'm visualizing. So small circles to the front, you'll start feeling the burn a little bit as you're going. Um, and this is something that you can do. Uh, so you're gonna have your arms all the way out to the outside and then you're, you're just making little circles. Little circles on the outside, there you go. And you keep doing that and then now you're gonna go backwards. Almost like you're, there you go, there we go. Everybody's got it. Yeah, there you go, with the, with the wings moving in a small, still going small, we're, we're only at about I'm more like a four, <laughs> 45 seconds roughly there. All right, and then you're gonna pitch your palms facing upward towards the sky, and if then you're gonna clap your hands overhead, and then come back down, palms to the side, clap your hands overhead, and keep doing that. Keep the palms up. Yep, palms up, keep clapping overhead. Almost like you're clapping to your favorite song. You're gonna start feeling some burning, that's normal. Um, that burning is actually something that's helping what we call your traps, which is... <laughs> no, it's okay, it, it burns for me too, I just gotta do quite a few. Out of shape. And you keep going, keep going. All right, relax. All right, now you guys can take a seat. That is something that you can do that's going to help you give or help give you some shoulder mobility. It's also going to give your neck stabilization. It's something that helps to define those delts for those of you that want really defined muscles on the delts, and it's just body weight right there. So you're doing the small circles to the side and then forward backwards and then that that's under two minutes right there that you're doing and you're already starting to feel a burn. So you don't have to work out at extremes to get a workout. You, you're just, everybody's gotta start somewhere, right? For me, there was a time to where I had to start on lifting and doing those things. I ran track in high school and I remember the first time I showed up for track practice, it was a rude awakening. There's not one program that's made for every single person. So if you get somebody who is saying, well, I have this program, and then you realize that it's the same as the person sitting next to you or another person that's at totally different fitness level, then you can start asking questions and say, is this really designed for me or are you just giving out cookie cutter programs? And, and that's how you can normally figure out if somebody's 
start or at least give you an idea if that person's starting to rip you off on their training because it should be personalized anytime you get personal training. Hence the name. So with a quick show of hands, how many of you have been told by your doctor, and if you don't feel comfortable sharing it, um, that you're at risk of type 2 diabetes or you have it? Alrighty, you can bring your hands down. So with that question, here's the motivation for you. Most people with type 2 diabetes, in some point, and I should refine that, most people who have type 2 diabetes are at a position to where they can reverse certain things. Like they can take their insulin dependency down or they can start working through things. Some people it's genetic, but you can still make modifications through diet and exercise. I'm sure you've heard that from your doctor. So there's some motivation for you. It's healthy living. Um, but people say that all the time. How many of you have knee injuries, ankle injuries, dropped arches, lower back pain? I'm sure we're starting to get into their shoulder issues, neck issues. A lot of these can happen because of either being even 10 or 15% overweight. I had a level two MCL sprain and I'm 190 pounds at six foot, and I, I, I mean, they would say that my healthy weight is 180 pounds. Not that that's always accurate, but in the case of agility, and I think that's primarily what they're looking at, is your ability to move your body around through space, and in the case of agility, it was right. I injured my knee. And so, for a lot of people, that's one of the big hurdles is they start seeing, oh, I have these injuries, my knee's hurting, my foot, the arch is dropping. And some of that's, you know, as you get older, there's normal injuries and normal aches and pains and, and kind of paying the piper because of stuff you did when you were younger, thinking you were invincible if you're like me. Um, but some of it's preventable. As you start exercising, as you start doing things that are that are gonna make lasting impacts on you in, in a healthy way, you, you'll start seeing some of those things reverse. Some of the pains will start going away. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you guys is how can you do those things? What are some simple, practical things that you can do without paying a bunch of money, something you can do right at your house, um, what are some of those things? We, we always hear, okay, well, you need to buy this nutrition planner. You need to buy into this, you know, fitness modality. What is a health coach? What is a personal trainer? I see a personal trainer having used one as well as being one as, as, as somewhat in what she said, but somebody who has a plan and is kind of a tour guide on your fitness journey. Somebody who's, who's helping you to understand how to use things, not holding their knowledge over you so that you keep coming back, but they're teaching you how to train yourself. All right, so this one I think is important. Um, it's a practical tip. It's something you can do right when you wake up that will increase your metabolism and it's drink eight ounces of water. 
Before you eat anything, you take anything in, drink eight ounces of water. But now here's, here's the other thing. If you will do this challenge, I guarantee you'll see health benefits on this. This one little thing will prevent a lot or help to reverse a lot of diseases. It, it's proven in medical journals all over the place. It's gonna sound super simple. Drink water. Drink water. You, you don't need all these sports drinks and all these other things. Drink water. You drink water and, and they, they give this formula. It's not a, a exact in the sense of everybody's gonna be a little bit different. So you, can, you don't have to be super strict on this, but they say one ounce of water for every 2.2 pounds of body weight. So basically, if you take your body weight and you split it in half, that's how much water you should be drinking a day. But it's really not a whole lot if you think about it. You take out the tea, you take out the soda, you take out the orange juice, you take out all these other drinks that we drink instead of water, and you think about how much sugar that you're taking in. Once you take those things out, and if you do that for a month, do that for a month, commit to just drinking water with your meals, you're gonna see a huge change. Not that you have to do that forever. I don't think anybody does in that sense, but you'll see a big difference. Now the next thing is, when you go to the grocery store, anything that is prepackaged has preservatives. So basically anything on the inside of the store, inside a box or those things is normally, and I'm gonna say normally, not because it's sometimes it's not the case, but normally those things aren't good for you. So if you go on the outskirts of the store, on the inside, to the produce area, to the things that are grown that haven't been there for, if it has an expiration longer than a couple of months, it's probably not good for you. So if you just keep that in mind when you're buying things, that if you buy real food, your body's getting fed. But if you constantly eat things, and it's okay, everything in moderation, right? It's okay to have a hamburger and those things every once in a while, but if we constant, if that's our diet, then we're actually depriving our body of the nutrients it needs, and it's going into what they call starvation mode, and that those nutrients are just getting shoved aside into fat, those things. And so even, even though there's, there's people who think, oh, well, I'll skip a meal and that'll save me, I'll cut my, calories, there's some value to cutting your calories, but not by skipping meals. So when you skip meals, you tell your body, hey, store this so that, you know, maybe next time when I need it, the problem is it's harder to burn fat than it is to burn the calories and stuff when they're first coming in. So it just ends up staying. So a long-term solution would just be navigating those things. So you've probably heard of some fad diets that say, hey, uh, no carbs. How many of you have heard of that one? I'm not gonna say any specific name because I don't wanna step on anybody's toes, but that's, that's false. Your body needs carbs. Actually, your body needs carbs to burn fat. But it needs the right kind of carbs. Real food. So you don't want the empty calories. You want vegetables, you don't want to constantly be eating red meat, which red meat's good in some cases, right? But not in the way that we mostly eat it. Um, chicken, fish, turkey, those things. 
majority, but having a little bit every once in a while isn't bad. So those are some practical ways to make substitutions and find some good things within the store. So here's the one that I think I probably get asked a lot. It, I, I think it's one of the number one things is, why are personal trainers so expensive? For me, I try not to make training expensive, but it's also a livelihood. So you're paying somebody who paid for, for training. I was talking about just one of my certifications cost me close to $800. Um, and so in order to be able to do these things, to give the advice to people, things like that, it's an investment. And I look at those investments as, you know, you can invest in, in plenty of things. Many people spend five, six bucks on a coffee every day. But if you spent five, six bucks, maybe 10 bucks a week, you could afford somebody to come help you um, in, in personal training. You know, it, it's just a matter of, of reorganizing what you're willing to give. There's always gonna be a sacrifice in some extent, but they shouldn't, I don't think that personal trainers should cost hundreds of dollars, personally. Most trainers with my level of certification will charge anywhere from $60, $70 per session to $150. Um, and for me, I've resolved to be around $25, $30 per session because I think that though I have to be able to support myself, I, I don't think that it should cost somebody an arm and a leg to get healthy. I think that ultimately being able to help that person is is fulfilling enough for me. I don't need to try to get rich off of people. And so you can make sure that the person that you're working with actually knows what they're doing. And, and if I communicate anything on that, if you're thinking about getting a trainer, that should be the first thing that you do when you find out about that person. Don't just listen to what they say, ask them like, do you have a certification? And when did you graduate from school? And did you graduate from school with C's? Or did you graduate from schools with from school with an A in regards to your bachelor's, if you say you know something, you know, a doctor's still a doctor if they got C's, but does, does it mean that I wanna to go to that doctor? No, right? So I think that helps. Let's see, what are some realistic expectations? What would you guys consider a realistic expectation in regards to training? Improvement. I would say that might even be too low or maybe not as clear as we could be. Let's be a little bit more specific. That was a good one though. Weight loss. Weight loss, but let's be specific. Let's put some numbers on the board. 10% maybe. 10% in what amount of time? A month. In a month? I think that that's that's very possible. Here's here's what normally happens for people though in a realistic weight loss journey. You don't see a whole lot of improvement until about 90 days. 90 days is when your body begins to really just pick up, hey, I don't need all this other stuff. They're only eating this amount of calories. I need to burn this other stuff. This is just excess weight. It's, it's when your body kind of wakes up and, and starts deciding like, hey, this, is, this all doesn't need to be here anymore. And then a realistic <laughs> weekly weight loss 
goal and see how I didn't say daily, a realistic weekly weight loss, understand is about two to three pounds per week. So you can see how that, that begins to take away all those, lose 40 pounds in 60 days, like all that stuff. Yeah, that's not healthy. If you take it off really fast, it's gonna come back on really fast. And then it's probably gonna come back on even worse than it was. There we go. Well, my question is, do you, where do you do your personal training and how do you, how do people, what's, we need your contact info. Debbie has, has my cards, um, and I, right now, since we just moved here in October, I haven't necessarily partnered with a gym yet, I'm, I'm going to, um, but I am an independent personal trainer, and what that means is that I, I train on my own, I, I don't have to report to a gym, and most trainers, they have to sign a contract with the gym, and the gym takes part of the money, and, and things like that, but I can do, I mean, Village Manor has kind of a gym workout area, I can do training there. I've done training in the park. Um, I've partnered with community centers. In New Mexico, I had three gyms that I was partnering with. Um, and so I'm, it's just a matter of making the contacts and, and figuring out what works best for you, what the weather's like. I like training outside, because I think it's more realistic versus being in a building moving weights that you'll never move in real life. Do you have different techniques for training men and women such as do men do more weightlifting or more running than women would do or are, are the exercises in some cases different? Yeah, it's going to be personalized. Um, so typically men were just designed to be stronger um, and so there's certain stuff that certain men are going to be able to do. Now that's not saying that somebody, a, a woman who's in better shape than the guy isn't gonna be lifting more than the guy. Like, hey, that, that's, that's just where they're at, that's what they're gonna be lifting. So it's not necessarily the amount of weight they're lifting, but maybe the type of exercises they're doing, and it's in relation to the goals that they have. And so my training is more in regards to, hey, if you wanna be able to walk with your grandkids or your kids and, and just be able to keep up with them, and okay, let's start working on you know some muscle endurance in your legs and some stability and things like that that are gonna help you to, to get to that point. And so I, I tailor, and, and I believe that any personal trainer should do this, but not all do. I tailor it towards you based off of what we call a PARQ, which is your personal health history questionnaire, and then assessments that I do with you, postural assessments and things to determine muscle imbalances and weaknesses and things of that nature. Doctors always, you know, want you to be healthy and stuff. Uh, do you uh, work through insurance companies? There are some that, so for me, I personally haven't networked with the insurance companies yet, but that doesn't mean that your insurance company won't. Some will cut a check to the trainer based off of knowing if they have a certification or things like that. So there's a, there's a possibility there um, for that, but there definitely are trainers that do. I just haven't, I haven't had to approach that issue yet. It doesn't mean that I couldn't. It, it just hasn't been something that I've done. But yeah, some, some insurance will cover that. A lot of us are not really um, what you call super at exercising. <laughs> Um, it, it always is kind of 
funny to me when I, I get a lot of um, email from uh, a lot of different lists that have to do with healthy things and exercises and so on. And I, I just hate those when I get um, easy ways to exercise. And you open it up and it tells you about 15 different kind of crunches and, and or, um, you know, all of these exercises that I would never in my wildest days think about doing. So um, when you when you talk about exercise, um, you know the things that you the little arm exercise that you had us do at the beginning. You know, those are easy little things. Um, do you build um, programs on those kinds of things? In other words, so we don't have to do um, you know 15 different kinds of you know terrible things we would never think of doing that a gym might want us to do. <laughs> Uh, so for for me, the way that I design a program is based off of I start with stability, so addressing muscle muscle instability, things like that, and then we go to stabilization, endurance, and then we're going to go to your strength, and then we're going to go to the power portion. So as as you get, and some people may never get to certain stages, um, but that's kind of how I map it. Now, in regards to your question specifically, I think it is important not to have too many different exercises because I want you to learn the exercises. Some of them may be exercises that seem foreign, right, because you're learning it. But we're going to do it so many times that after a while you're going to know your exercises right from the beginning. Uh, it sounds like you gear a little more towards, um, not to, I know you, you know you wouldn't claim necessarily occupational therapy, but it sounds like you're more functional and, and, and diving into that pool a little bit more um, in occupational therapy, not necessarily I want to help you get all bulky and slim and trim, you know, you know this great uh, you know, cookie cutter body, but I want to get you functional and on a healthy uh, fit and in, and in shape. Do you, were there certain continuing education classes that you took to help you uh, develop that knowledge to teach, or is that all part of your original certification? Definitely continuing education. Uh, every trainer that's certified by a nationally accredited certification body has to stay up every two years. They got to show that they've done at least two. Uh, accredited classes, they normally last from six to eight weeks. Some are longer than that. Uh, my most recent certification was a little bit more in occupational therapy as well as performance enhancement. Tell us your phone number or something since we can't remember. Um, it is 505-I'm from New Mexico, so 505-319-5500. And that's my number. And then guidancepersonaltraining at gmail.com is my, my email. That all we got? Awesome. Well, thank you for, for having me. And um, I'll look for some calls. If you guys have questions and things like that, I enjoy being able to share the information that we have. <laughs>
Over the past week, ACB has received multiple calls concerning the new Delta policies regarding service and emotional support animals. The calls pertain to correspondence with Delta employees or contractors conveying misinformation to travelers with a guide dog. ACB has a direct line of communication with Delta management overseeing such policies, and we have made them aware that work still needs to be done to assure that customer service agents are presenting accurate information following Delta's revisions of service animal policies. They have responded, indicating that they are looking into the situation. Beginning March 1, Delta had instituted new policies regarding travelers using emotional support animals. Initially, in a January 18 news release, Delta announced the policy changes would impact both service and emotional support animals. After engagement from ACB and other stakeholders, Delta relaxed their policies on service animals. In some cases, Delta may seek to inquire if an animal is up to date with their rabies vaccination. It is our understanding that this is not expected unless a need arises. In any case, it is a good experience for any guide dog user to have their dog up to date on vaccinations and have a visible tag indicating such vaccination. We have been told the visible tags will count as appropriate verification. If any issues arise while traveling that pertain to your equal rights as a traveler with a guide dog, request to speak with a complaint Resolutions Officer, CRO, who are appropriately trained to respond to such issues. Please email me, Tony Stevens, with any complaints that take place, and ACB will follow up with the airline and the Department of Transportation. Tony Stevens can be reached at A Stevens, S T E P H E N S, at ACB.org or Call the National Office at 1-202-467-5081. Jean Fike forwarded the following article from the Missouri L list on Friday, March 2. It appeared on ACBL. This is a most interesting article about another new Braille display. It's called Canute the world's first affordable multi-line Braille e-reader with 360 cells. Canute is a radical new Braille reader designed with and by the blind community. Canute, C-A-N-U-T-E, will be the world's first multi-line Braille e-reader, dramatically widening access to Braille around the world. Paper Braille is expensive and extremely bulky. Digital Braille costs thousands of pounds, this is an article from England, for just 40 characters in a single line. By contrast, the Canute will be, one, radically affordable at around the price of a new iPhone or Perkins Brailler, or two to three pounds per character, which compares to 40 plus pounds in existing Braille displays. Canute has 360 characters over nine lines, making digital Braille literacy 20 times more affordable. Final retail price to be decided over the next few months as we approach full production. 2. Multi-line. 
There are many uses where multi-lines are considered hugely more appropriate than single line, including mathematics, tabular data, music notation, and the formatting of prose. 3. Built in active cooperation with hundreds of members of the Brailleists Foundation. 4. Designed and manufactured in Britain. Canute will begin its final pre-production testing pilot in March of 2018. With Bristol Braille's Canute, you will be able to condense your Braille library into one simple reading device. From Royal National Institute of Blind People. And from Kelly Gask, posted on Friday, March 2 on ACB Leadership, comes the following article. Microsoft Soundscape Helps Visually Impaired Navigate Cities. This article was posted in TechCrunch.com. Microsoft Today launched Soundscape, a new iOS app that aims to give people who are blind or visually impaired a greater awareness of their surrounding by using 3D cues. It's worth stressing that the app isn't about replacing guide dogs or canes. Instead, it's all about enriching people's perception of their surroundings. A guide dog can't tell you that your favorite store is right around the corner if you're in an unfamiliar city or what street you are on after all. With the app, users can set audio beacons for destinations and landmarks. Using GPS and the built-in compass on the phone, the app then generates its spatial audio cues. The mapping data is provided by OpenStreetMap. Obstacle avoidance is not the problem. We have a dog, a cane, and our blindness skills for that, said Aaron Lauridsen, L-A-U-R-I-D-S-E-N, Access Technology Director, Lighthouse for the Blind, in San Francisco. In a blog post today, the gap is knowing where things are and being able to decide what's of interest. The app offers three modes. Locate tells you where you are. Around me calls out four points of interest around you. And ahead of me provides the names of five landmarks in front of you. If some of this sounds familiar, that's probably because Microsoft has been working on this project for quite a while now. Back in 2014, the team was working with Windows Phone handsets and was experimenting with bone conduction headsets. At the time, Microsoft was also hoping to use sensors and beacons in cities to provide additional information, like bus arrival times. Today, Windows Phone is no more, and the requirement of using a bone conduction headset has been removed, but the general idea behind Soundscape has always remained the same. And finally, this article appeared on Leadership on March 1 and is entitled How to Really See a Blind Person. It was published in the New York Times. We are including it because it generated a lot of discussion on the list, and we thought you would like to be part of that discussion. I tell my story a lot. I tell the story of how I wasn't always blind. I tell the story of how I lost my vision while serving in Afghanistan, 
by stepping on an IED. I tell the story of how I put my own injury into perspective by considering the greater sacrifice of my fallen comrades and how I owed it to them to make the most of my escape from death. I tell the story of how I did that by winning a gold medal in swimming at the Paralympics on the first anniversary of the loss of my vision. And after I tell it, people often thank me. They tell me that it's an incredible story and that I'm a good storyteller. They tell me how inspiring it is to see how I've overcome my blindness. But that's not my whole story. It's part of it, I suppose. In many ways, I have overcome my blindness. Five years after losing my sight, I have a rewarding job teaching leadership at the Naval Academy, a lovely house on a creek in historic Annapolis, Maryland, a loving family, and a number of truly deep friendships. My quality of life is very high. Day by day, week by week, I don't find that my blindness is an obstacle. What I haven't been able to overcome is how others perceive me and treat me differently now because of my blindness, or how I so often feel as if I'm on the outside listening in on the lives of others. I hear people talk about how beautiful the sunrise is, but I no longer see it. I hear them talk about Game of Thrones, but cannot watch it because HBO doesn't have descriptive audio for its shows. I can no longer share these very common experiences. One thing I do often now is public talks about learning to navigate my new life without vision, but it's a one-way conversation. Afterward, I go to the airport where I'm reminded how hard it is to physically navigate a world not set up for people without vision. It's a pain to find assistance at the counter. It's a pain to get through security, which can't seem to distinguish dog food from explosives. It's a pain to get the airlines to move my seat to the bulkhead so there's room for my guide dog. Don't get me started on what a pain it is to find the bathroom for either of us. I feel the looks of my fellow passengers wondering what my story is, but too afraid to ask for fear of saying the wrong thing and offending me. I feel helpless, stared at like some sort of freak. In my former life as an explosive ordnance disposal officer, I traveled through airports all over the world from Baltimore to Prague to Baghdad to Kandahar and back, quickly, easily, and anonymously. But traveling as I do now, with a cane and a guide dog, is anything but anonymous. At times, it has beaten me down. At home, the inability to join my friends in their chatter about Game of Thrones has caused me to pull back. I decline invitations out to avoid the same alienating experience I've had a thousand times before. Whether I'm at a crowded bar, restaurant, sports event, or concert, I'll be a spectacle, isolated by my inability to join the conversations of those around me. No thanks. I'll just stay home, in the quiet, where I know exactly where the bathroom is. I'll stay there until I have to hit the road again to tell my story of how I overcame blindness. The irony used to make me chuckle. A few years ago, after another frustrating trip through the airport, I settled into my seat, 
bound for Dallas, and did my best to disappear. That's an awfully nice watch you have there. I've never seen anything quite like it, my neighbor said as she fastened her seatbelt. A smile spread across my face. I love talking about my watch. It's a tactile timepiece that replaces traditional hour and minute hands with magnetic rotating ball bearings so that blind folks like myself can literally tell the time through touch. It's superbly designed and very sharp looking, so it appeals to those with vision too. The timepiece, the Bradley by E1, is actually named after me. It is accessible to people with or without disabilities. I am a friend of the company's founder, Hyung Soo Kim, and receive a small percentage on sales of the watch. I love explaining how the watch embodies the principles of inclusive design, which I am passionate about. The conversation with my neighbor went on, and I explained how I lost my vision. I talked about how I had been able to adapt, how I tried to maintain perspective, and how I felt as though I had overcome my blindness. Then my neighbor shared her own fights. She had lost her husband a few years ago, and during her grief had gained weight. She had been struggling with her weight ever since, and it had begun to interfere with her quality of life. I told her how sometimes I felt isolated by my disability, and she relayed that she felt constrained by her weight. I shared how I sometimes feel that I'm an outsider, and she echoed the same. For the first time in a while, I didn't feel like a spectacle or an outcast. I felt like a friend and an important part of someone else's journey. I felt valued, needed, and involved, and all it took was a conversation. I realized that I'm not alone in being alone. Sometimes people ask me what I want others to know about being blind. I want others to feel more comfortable having conversations with people whose experiences are different from their own. My watch has been a natural opener, and once that conversation starts, we usually discuss topics far beyond timepieces and disabilities. Through talking, we find humanity. It seems like we could all use a little more humanity right now. I know it's tough for many to have conversations with people so different from themselves, to risk feeling uncomfortable or giving offense, to find common ground, to listen to another's struggles, to share your own struggles in return. But you might be surprised what you get out of it and what you realize you've given in return. How do we do it? It all starts with a conversation. What's your story? Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar On March 6, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its monthly conference call support group meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. The phone number is 605-475-6006 and the code is 294444. On March 8, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will hold its quarterly meeting from noon to 2 p.m. There will be a 50-50 raffle, door prizes, and trivia. BCB Office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. 
RSVP or for more information at 859-259-1834. Also on March 8, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its Louisville Support Group Meeting, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. For more information, call 502-895-4598. On March 8, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will have its March conference call at 7 p.m. The phone number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155619. For more information, call 859-781-7369. On March 9, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have its roundabout. 3.30 to 5 p.m. will be education and technology. We'll be sharing iPhone tips, learning more about the Orbit Reader 20, and participating in other individual activities. Discussion time and tip sheet from 5 to 6. Dinner, 6 to 7, $5 per person. Bingo, $2 per person, 7 to 9 and cards, crafts, and other activities from 7 to 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. To sign up, call 502-895-4598. On March 10, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its monthly board meeting at 11 a.m. by telephone. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On March 11, KCB Next Generation will have its monthly meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. This is its regularly monthly meeting for visually impaired people 40 and under. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. March 13, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, in Owensboro will have its next monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Complete Ceramics Projects collect membership dues, and brief social committee meeting to plan for May Social at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On March 14, the KCB PR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m., Eastern Time by phone 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 15 is a Savvy Workshop on Gardening, 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join Savvy as they discuss gardening techniques which may be beneficial for those with visual impairment at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270 270- Six eight four 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 one eight or Bill Roberts at two seven zero four eight five eight one seven zero. On March sixteen, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold a roundabout iPhone Orbit Reader and other individual activities from three thirty to five. Tip sheet from five to five thirty. Dinner early that week at five thirty five dollars per person. Games and crafts from 6.30 to 10, and we will also be attending the APH Reader's Theater at the American Printing House for the Blind. 
For more information, especially concerning making reservations for the Reader's Theater and arranging rides home after the performance, please call 502-895-4598. On March 16 and 17, the Braille Reader's Theater will be taking place at the American Printing House for the Blind. The play is The Doctor in Spite of Himself, a classic work by the 17th century French playwright Moliere. This fast and funny farce is filled with witty comebacks, wordy misunderstandings, pranks, puns, and mischief. At the American Printing House for the Blind, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue. It's free, but registration is required, best for ages 10 and up. To make reservations directly with the Printing House, call 502-899-2213. Please note, if you plan to attend the Reader's Theater as part of the GLCB Roundabout, call GLCB at 502-895-4598 for reservations instead of calling the Printing House. The time for the Reader's Theater on May 16 is 7 to 9 p.m. and on May 17 is 1 to 3 p.m. On May 18, the KSB Alumni Association will hold a board meeting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. March 19 is the Kentucky Council of the Blind Board meeting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the same conference line. March 22, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold another support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. For more information, call KCB at 502-895-4598. March 23 is a GLCB roundabout from 3.30 to 10 at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Education and Technology from 3.30 to 5. Discussion Time from 5 to 5.30. Page Turners followed by a Tri-State Library Users Meeting, 5.30 to 6, Dinner, 6 to 7, and Games and Crafts from 7 to 10. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. March 23 to 25, KSB Short-Term Retreat Weekend for Visually Impaired Kentucky Students, Grades 6 to 12, Making S'mores Time, for friends and leisure. Bonus trip to Louisville Orchestra featuring KSB alumnus Michael Cleveland. For more information, call the Kentucky School for the Blind at 502-897-1583, extension 7714. March 26, Guide Dog Users of Kentuckyana invites you to its membership conference call at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. March 28th, the Bluegrass Council will have its peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway. RSVP by calling 859-259-1834. March 29 is another Savvy Workshop. This time, the topic is Cooking Safety and Strategies. From 10 a.m. to noon Central Time, join Savvy as they share cooking tips and strategies which may be beneficial for those with visual impairments at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. 
For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418. On March 30 is another GLCB roundabout, 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for more information. March 31 is the Easter Holiday Open House, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. Bring your Easter visitors to APH's museum where they can write their names in Braille, see a book from Helen Keller's Bible, learn about guide dogs, play games, and read books designed for children who are blind, and enjoy many other activities. Easter treats and lemonade will be served. At the APH Museum, call 502-899-2213 for more information. April 6 and 7 is the 2018 Crossroads Conference, entitled Let Your Journey Begin. The conference begins at noon on Friday and ends after the banquet on Saturday evening. For more information, call the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598. And June 29 through July 6 is the 57th Annual ACB Conference and Convention in St. Louis, Missouri. More information is available on the ACB website at www.acb.org or by subscribing to the ACB Convention email list, send a blank email to acbconvention-subscribe at acblists.org. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prints. Have a great week, everybody.